You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday the 9th of June. Breaking news this morning is that Frankie Dottori, who is unsurprisingly assembling a ridiculously good book of rides at Royal Ascot, has picked up the ride on Last year's Derby winner, Desert Crown, in the Prince of Wales' stakes. He will ride that horse uh, for Sir Michael Stout in the colours of Saeed Sahail. Uh, Previously, the horse has been ridden by Richard Kingscote, who won the Derby on the horse so impressively last year and gave him such a good ride on that occasion. Um, Desert Crown was defeated on his comeback, though lost very little in terms of reputation in his defeat. His first run for nearly a year in the Brigadier Gerard at Sandown Park. But... The owner, Saeed Sahail, with Frankie Dottori available on the presumption that Emily Upjohn won't run in the Prince of Wales' stakes, has gone for the man with that peerless Ascot record and whose blood will be up in his farewell year. Bruce Raymond is Saeed Sahail's racing manager and he explains to me the decision a little earlier on this morning. Well, he, he just feels that there's, for, for, for him, the Desert Crown winning this race is all important. And he just feels that while Frank is around, because he's not going to be around next year, um, he wants to give, give the horse every chance. And he believes that um, Frankie is unbeatable around Ascot. And uh, that's why he's just obviously just jogged him off for this time. And it's, it's no disgrace for, for Richard at all. I know I myself a hundred years ago was jogged off Carroll House and he went when he won the Ark, but to have him ridden for Michael Jarvis for fifteen years, but it happens. It's not the end, not the end of the world. And um, obviously Richard is hoping he could win on uh, uh, beat him on um, the other horse on, so. on, on Bay Bridge. Yeah, I, I mean, ju- yeah. Ju- just yeah. just from. I'm hoping my horse wins, but Richard's not now, so things change. It, w- it would have been a, a reasonably tight call, perhaps, between them if the if the if the rain comes as well. We we don't know that. We're still we're still ten days out from the race. What what faith do you and your team still have, though, in in, in Richard moving forward and in terms of the rest of the season and riding other horses, riding this horse when, say, Frankie can't ride the horse. Yeah, I, I, well, I think I think I'm sure he'll be riding it because obviously Brian Moore is Michael Stout's number one jockey if he can if he can get him, but he's he's going to be unavailable most 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 of these big races, and I and I think he would better to have the, the jockey that you know riding the horse than anything anybody else. So I'm sure that he would be back on the horse should anything should Frankie not be able to ride and. For, for any reason, um, and you know, who knows? A horse can go. Gee, I, th- I think he's a very good horse, and I think he'll go forward into a lot of good races. Uh, and with Richard on, hopefully, you know. Okay, Jane Mangan is uh, with me this morning. Jane, we've seen this movie a few times before, but Frankie Dottori gets the ride on one of the most high-profile horses in training, and a, a ride that was previously somebody else's. What do you make of it? It is disappointing, obviously, for Richard Kingscote, but if I'm honest, it's it's not a huge surprise. There are one there is a one percent of jockeys, whether it be Ryan Moore or Frankie Dottori, those that are just 
out of this world elite and they can get on horses in this circumstance because they're that good. Um, I don't think Richard has done anything wrong on the horse. Had he won at Sandown, it would have been impossible to take him off. I personally don't think he did anything wrong on the horse in Sandown. I think it's a case where Frankie de Tory is available. It's his last ascot. Maybe there's a bit of fairy tale to it. And I, I, I'm not going to read into the politics of it. I just think Frankie is one of those ex, ex, extra riders um, that can get on horses like this in this caliber of race. And uh, I don't I, I hope Richard doesn't feel too despondent about it because there is no doubt he'll get on him again in the future, considering Frankie has other alliances. But on this occasion, he was available. And that's where the ownership group decided to go. And reading between the lines, I think there's a a good groundswell of support for Richard Kingscote within the within the Sir Michael Stout camp, and I think there's a keenness for him to ride Baybridge, as it looks as though both both horses are pointing towards the same race. And who knows? You know, the weather's beautiful for the moment. What if it suddenly changes midway through Ascot Week and the heavens open? Then suddenly the wheel of fortune has has turned again. And then suddenly it may have been a case where Richard Kingscote would have chosen Baybridge anyway, um, because he's the heavyweight horse. He's he's run a huge race at the Curra, uh, in in what I would deem a better race than the Sandown race. So, yeah, it's look Prince of Wales is a good race. I don't think it's going to be a case where Desert Crown turns up and it'll just be a case of formalities. Um, you have the potential for Luxembourg to turn up, turn up there. They are. Um, and my Prospero is in there as well. So it, it's it's this is newsworthy for sure because Richard has been on Desert Crown each of his four runs. He's won the Derby on him. Um, but look, as I said, when it comes to a Dottori or a Moor, you can get on horses that are of this elite because you are that good. And as you say, if if the horse had, had won at Sandown, and I think you and I both believe, and we discussed it on the podcast, that I don't really think he did a a right lot wrong given where he was drawn and and the necessity for cover and trying to give the horse a nicer comeback as possible if the horse had won you rightly point out it would have been almost impossible to to swap jockeys but he didn't and sometimes the stars align in a certain way where it swings your way and sometimes the stars just just don't align yeah and again it's it's a, it, we've been here before we saw it with rob hornby last year and colin Keane and 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 westover we've seen it on over over jumps this is just a decision whereby saeed suhail and his advisors and sir michael stout and whatever they had this discussion frankie detore is available do you want to use him why not and uh, a lot of people will read into the ride at sandown and the form of the rider and the horse and this and that Ultimately, I think you shouldn't look too far beyond the surface here. Frankie's Frankie. He's available. Let's use him. And and it, it it's Ascot, and he's on the crest of a wave, and it's the last year. And uh, do you know what I mean? It's it's a it's a, an, a not you. Un- yeah, well, it is a unique set of circumstances. It is. You have the the opportunity to be part of Hollywood, and that's what Frankie is at the moment. And there is a. There's a unique selling point, shall we say, that he's offering at the moment. And let's be honest, he's riding okay. I suppose the other thing we ought to mention, Jane, is that it it rather suggests that Emily Upjohn definitely won't run in the Prince of Wales's and will wait for the eclipse if Frankie's making himself available for Desert Crown at this stage. Yes, that's uh, almost certain, yeah. Well, to be fair, Connections had suggested that she was probably going to go to the eclipse anyway. Um, But this is pretty much confirmation of that because I'd imagine Frankie will go wherever, wherever Emily turns up. 
Okay, so can I just ask you this then? Let, let's just, and we're still, you know, we're still 12 days out from this race. Um, we might be jumping the gun a bit quickly. You know, these horses have all got to get there, first of all. We're assuming the weather's going to stay the same. If, if as things stand, the, the horses that we think are going to run, run. So Desert Crown with the Tory, Baybridge, Kingscote, Luxembourg, Ryan Moore, and others uh, that, that would have some sort of a chance. How, how would you play it? Uh, I've been guilty of underestimating Luxembourg basically all of his career. Um, I met Aidan O'Brien last night at Leopardstown. I said, congratulations on pulling off the second most impressive training performance of your life by winning uh, the Derby with a horse that bombed out in the guineas. And uh, he said, what was the first? I said, Luxembourg in the Irish Champion Stakes last year. Um, he led all the way. Okay, got a free lead in the Tavistals. Did, did, did Aidan not interrupt you and say, Jane, I think you're you're struggling with recency bias there. You know, I've been, <laughs> training, I've been training for 30 years and you've plucked out the two that are the most recent. Yeah, well, we're all guilty of that, but I just thought it was funny. Um, and he did too. So yeah, look, I, I'm 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 now not going to suffer any fools when it comes to Luxembourg anymore. I'm going to give him the respect that he deserves, and I personally think that he should be top of the market. And currently, Desert Crown is. Uh, Adair came back and he was he was good, but he he should have been. And the second horse has won a Group One since Amnat. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's a it's a decent race. I don't expect a big field, um, but I think Luxembourg is probably the horse that should be top of the market. I'm trying to work out what what I think Aidan O'Brien's best training performance with. I, I mean, win, winning some of those derbies with horses that were only half okay has got to, has got to go, go quite high up in the in the list. Well, I, I I do remember him winning um, a Group One in North America with a filly that had been second or third in the Irish Oaks six days previous. Yes. He, it. No, he does he does uh, amazing stuff. Not only that, Jane, she'd run at Royal Ascot as well. Keep them busy. When they're fit, they're fit. All right. Uh, we digress somewhat. Oh, obviously, Aiden will have a wonderful hand at Royal Ascot. Jesse Harrington will have a good hand as well. But her stable rider, Shane Foley, will not be aboard her horses. He's been in the wars. He has. He, he got a fall at Goran Park a couple of days back and he, he broke his collarbone. Fortunately, I, I spoke to Kate Harrington last night. He doesn't require surgery. So hopefully he will be back in time to partner Spreewell in the Irish Derby. She reported Spreewell to have come out of the race uh, very well, which is great to hear considering how quick the conditions were at Epsom. So he's on target for what could be a very good Irish Derby if they all turn up at the moment. You have the likes of White Birch and August Rodan as possibilities as well. Um, but Shane will obviously miss the Royal meeting at which Jessica Harrington expects to have runners almost every day. Uh, she's got the likes of Ocean Quest and the Commonwealth, Sounds of Heaven, uh, who recently won at York under Ronan Whelan. I'd expect that he would retain that ride now in the Coronation Cup, of a race that Jessica's farmed uh, in recent years with Alpha Centuri and, and Alpine Star. Uh, Village Voice, the recent... Um, Salsable Stakes winner at Navin. She could go for the Ribblesdale and give me the Beat Boys, the recent um, Marble Hill winner at the Curra uh, for Con Marnan. That uh, would be an interesting uh, runner in any of the two-year-old colt races. So there's a number of opportunities there and it's expected that Ronan Whelan and uh, Colin Keane will pick up those opportunities. All right, Jane, nice little team for Willie Mullins at Ascot. Not bad, and I don't think he will travel a horse that doesn't have a chance. Um, this year's Ascot Gold Cup, let's be honest, not a vintage renewal. Very winnable race in comparison to some of the other renewals. Is that fair to say? 
you say that see here's the difference i think i think we've had i think last year was intriguing wasn't it because you had strad and you had the new kid on the block kiprios the previous year again you had strad and the new kid on the block subjectivist subjectivist is now an old hand coming back off the injury uh, but the fact that he's a 12 or 14 to one shot after that run in dubai suggests to me that that the market feels that the young brigade are are about are quite good and have quite a bit of potential as stayers the eldar elderobs uh, of this world um and haskoy and one or two others I, I i don't i don't know whether i agree with that but i think i think that it's possible that we're at the beginning of a, a of a of a vintage era yeah, it's the the transition is in process, and and it may well turn out that Eldar Eldarov or Haskoy uh, is the next stalwart of this division. But all, until you go and win the Ascot Gold Cup, you 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 don't establish yourself as that yet. Um, but Echoes and Rain is likely to go there for Willie Mullins. It's interesting that she's going there. I thought Vauban would be a very interesting horse in this division, but it seems he may well have a very attractive handicap mark that they can't. Uh, pass up the copper horse handicap with him but um, I always felt that he had you remember he mentioned Melbourne Cup in his triumph year um, well maybe this is the start of a campaign that could lead to the other side of the world Stratton a regular at the meeting will go for the Queen Alexandra stakes and bring on the knight who was second in the Ascot stakes last year has not been seen since is apparently on target to go back to that race well, Echoes in Rain, the mare you've just been talking about, what a wonderful mare she is, runs in the red and green halved colours of Barnane Stud. Their principal is Craig Kiesvetter, a friend of the, the podcast. I spoke to him a little while ago and asked him if the Gold Cup was indeed the plan. At the moment it is. Um, you know, we had a, a chat with Willie a few days ago and um, he's he's aiming her for the Gold Cup. If, if all goes to plan and, and everything goes accordingly and, and smoothly, it... Um, you know, we're hoping that she's gonna gonna set out and um, and hopefully give a good account of herself um, on the Thursday, which which is very exciting. You know, it's obviously a a race that is steeped in tradition and history, um, one of the oldest races um, in the country. So, um, you know, it'd be fantastic to get her in there and um, and to, to have our, our silks running again at Ascot uh, over the Royal Meeting. She's been a bit of a superstar for you, hasn't she? Under under both codes, uh, you've you've had, I guess commercially more important horses but in terms of the the pleasure she's given you where does she where does she rank she, yeah she's up there she's um she's definitely up there you know we we, we had urban fox who won the pretty poly you know candleford last year he, he won the duke of edinburgh which was only a handicap at the royal meeting but but still to win at the royal meeting was incredible um but echoes and rain is, is sort of the darling really you know she's um She's given us so much pleasure over the jumps and the flat. She's she's consistently running in in graded and group races and, and picked up you know two grade ones and group twos and group threes, and uh, you know we're very grateful. You know um, Peter Ross and Anna Doyle purchased her for us. Um, you know and this year we, we we were lucky enough to buy her sister, which we we've uh, we're, we're delighted with. So she's done us done us a huge amount of of. Um, of affection and um you know we're very excited to for this season and if all goes to plan you know potentially if, if it goes to plan on thursday at, at um at Ascot, she, she might be retiring to stud um but we'll we'll have to wait and see and, and see what uh, what willie mullins wants to do yeah you're a breeding man through and through and you've got a a, a mare here who's who's got 
quite an interesting mixed sort of dual purpose pedigree. If you ended up winning a group one on the flat, albeit over two and a half miles, and you've got all that black type over jumps, where do you jump? What do you try and do? Look, if she runs on Thursday at the Royal Meeting and and runs well well enough to to get black type, um, I, I can pretty much envisage us re- retiring her straight away. Um, I, I, to to have a, a, a mare that that picks up black type in, mm. in a race like that, it, it's it seems quite silly to then decide to take her back yeah. over the jumps with the risk that goes on there. But I, um, but I, I suppose I, I, what I was getting at was how do you then cover and what do you cover her with? We definitely cover her with a flat stallion. Yeah, and uh, most probably Frankel, I assume you know. Um, yeah, again, there's, there's there's so many options, but we're we're huge, you know, supporters of, of Frankel and Judmont, and um, you know Simon Mockridge is, is terrific. And he, he helps us and looks after us very well. So for, to get a, it, I think it all depends. Again, it depends on the race and a race like the Gold Cup. If you get a, a filly or a mare who's able to pick up black type, that is a, a, an incredible achievement, and that filly or mare deserves then. Um, the best that she can get, really, uh, in terms of covering. And do you know who's going to ride her at um, at, at Asker? Because she's she's had any number of jockeys down down the years. Yeah, look, we've there, there's rumours flying around that Frankie might be on board. Um, potentially Tom Marquand. Um, you know, those are the two that that have been sort of mentioned. But again, you know that that's down to to Willie um, and his team, depending on who he 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 wants to ride. So. You know, look. If, if either one of those two get on, I'd be delighted. You know, they're both terrific, and obviously, it's it's Frank, Frankie's uh, um, final final crack at the royal meeting. So, you know, if 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 all goes to plan and, and Frankie's able to do his, his his jumping dismount, I think you'll see a very happy Bonan team at uh, at the meeting. Um, Craig, as ever, thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So the Belmont Stakes, Belmont Park on Saturday. We hope. As I check in with NBC's Matt Bernier, Matt, I say we hope because you, like everybody else uh, in uh, the northeast or all the way down the eastern seaboard, is being affected by this uh, extraordinary smoke smog that we talked about on the podcast yesterday. That's come down from the Canadian wildfires. Just give me a give me a. I was going to say flavor, but that's probably rather an unfortunate word. Give me a sense of what it's like. I mean, it it, it looks pretty apocalyptic now i'm going to be down on the jersey shore at monmouth park so you know it's close but it's not that close to belmont park but it seems like really you could throw a blanket from washington dc right into lower new england and it's just a giant cloud of, of smoke and haze and hopefully things continue to clear up it sounds like the forecast is suggesting that's going to happen over the next few days but um it's been a pretty pretty dire situation for the past uh, 24 48 hours this this is what interested me. I, when I recorded the podcast yesterday, um, Belmont hadn't cancelled by that point, but we had a vet on who said, you know, this is the effect that smoke can have on a horse's lungs. It's not ideal. There is a threshold, a, a heiser threshold over which they shouldn't really race. And they decided to cancel racing yesterday, Thursday. Um, so they've set the precedent now, haven't they, for what the point is at which they're not happy to, to run. You would think, and I think if you're Naira or you're any other racing jurisdiction ongoing over the weekend, you're hopeful that things are only going to get better because, to your point, 
if they don't improve and you've already kind of set the precedent that we're not going to run in these conditions, well, well then what, you know, what do you do if you're Naira? And, um, I, I don't know. I don't envy them in that position. I, again, knock wood, everything continues to sort of clear up over the next 48 hours. But, uh, if it's anything like it has been midweek into the end of, of the, the work, work week, um, they're going to have a, a pretty tough decision to make. Okay, this this could be a grueling race in more ways than one. Um, who do you think is best equipped to deal with the the demands of of Saturday? And by that, I I mean specifically the the usual demands of the Belmont Stakes, a, a mile and a half in a well run race. Well, just purely on the way that the horses move, I would say Tappet Trice and Angel of Empire are the two that I have little doubt about the mile and a half. Uh, running style-wise could be an entirely different story. These are two horses that are not particularly quick early on, and historically the Belmont Stakes is a race where you need to be in striking range, let's say, with about a half mile left to run. So it'll be paramount for Flavian Pratt aboard Angel of Empire and Luis Saez aboard Tapatrice to make sure that their mounts are within, I would say, within two, maybe two and a half lengths for that final half mile, because if they're not, we've seen time and time again that these horses that are setting the pace early on in this race, they just don't stop. They keep going. Everyone is tired in this spot. The last thing you want to do is try to be making up significant ground. So I think they're the two that you want as far as the the blood is concerned. Uh, Running style-wise, it'll be up to the riders to make sure that they're not too far back. Does that give John Velasquez a, a glimmer of hope for the Preakness winner National Treasure? Certainly. And I did look, I didn't like the horse in the Preakness. I'm still not a huge fan of, of the horse. Uh, he really hasn't gotten any better throughout his career, depending on what kind of speed figures you look at. But to your point, Nick, the way the Preakness was run, you're looking at something similar in the Belmont. There's not a ton of early speed in here. And if this just turns into a race where they're clipping off 24 and a piece, 25 second kind of quarter miles, uh, why can't National Treasure get brave out there and, and win Bob Baffert's first sort of big race back in New York after a number of years? Mm, uh, precisely. Uh, and that, of course, all leaves us with the delicious question of Forte. Uh, and by his absence, really, he has burnished his reputation in a curious sort of way. Uh, is he about to remind us how good he is or is all his form just so-so? No, I mean, well, look, if if you liked him going into the Kentucky Derby, we talked about it right after the race, that you had to be a little bit disappointed when you see Mage go and do what he did the first Saturday in May. Um, I I think this horse fits talent-wise. The distance, you know, at face value, I I would be a little bit concerned about that. More importantly, this would be just a brilliant training job from Todd Pletcher if he has this horse ready to go, given all the things that have gone on with the horse, simply because this will be his first start since April the 1st. So a two-plus-month layoff against a field that these are all horses that have been primed and ready to roll for this spot for a number of weeks. Boy, you know, his first start going a mile and a half off that kind of layoff. If Forte wins, I think there's a very good case to be made that he right goes to the top of the list as far as the three-year-olds in the United States are concerned. Okay, And is there a bet in the race that people haven't considered? Or how are you going to play it? Well, I know a lot of folks are interested in Hit Show, one of the other Brad Cox horses in here, because he was relatively close to the pace in the Kentucky Derby, and he didn't completely pack it in in deep stretch. Part of me thinks he still needs to prove that he is actually of this caliber. 
Um, look, I'm kind of Captain Obvious. I liked him in the Derby. I like him in this spot. I think Angel of Empire, if Pratt can keep him close enough, it's worth noting he's going to race in the afternoon with blinkers on for the first time. He's trained with blinkers on for the majority of his career. He will wear them in the afternoon. I think if he can stay within shouting distance, I have no concern about the distance with this horse. And really, he's never done anything wrong. He just continues to run good race after good race. Um, I'm going to go with Angel of Empire in here. If you get something close to the 7-2, to 3-1 to one range, um, I think that's a number worth playing. And I'm not going to ask you to go through every single race at Belmont Park on Saturday, but it is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's not even an undercard, is it? It's kind of a, an overcard. I don't know what you call it. It's a, a stellar card all the way through. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? What are you anticipating most eagerly? Well, I think we have a number of, you could almost call this Breeders' Cup light here midway through the season because you've got Cody's wish in the Met Mile, but he's taking on some some tough customers in there. We've got up to the mark taking on the Appleby runners in the Manhattan. I'm most interested in the Woody Stevens from a gambling standpoint. We may not have a field loaded with superstars. You do have Arabian Lion, who was very impressive at Pimlico on the Preakness undercard. You've got a good horse in general, Jim. There's a horse that goes out for, for rather low-profile connections on the far outside, number 13. His name is Drew's Gold for James Chapman. He's 8-1 to one here in the U.S. on the morning line. Maybe you can get a bigger number overseas. He's going to get the acid test on Saturday, but he has done nothing wrong in four lifetime starts. He's just got to get out of the gate because he's not the, the fastest out of there. But if he can stay close... Um, he's an extremely talented racehorse, and I think you're going to get uh, an overlaid price on him. So uh, there are bigger names and, and more sort of high-profile outfits going out on Saturday. But Drew's Gold is the horse I'm most looking forward to betting in the Woody Stevens. Drew's Gold in the Woody Stevens from the 13 hole. Matt Bonilla, thank you so much. You got it, man. NBC's Matt Bonilla there talking about the threats to, to Belmont Park, monitoring that situation day by day, but clearly far from straightforward. And our coverage and build-up to the Triple Crown race is once again brought to you by Qatar Racing, expanding their racing and bloodstock portfolio worldwide and still heavily involved in the sponsorship of racing in Great Britain, primarily through British Champion Series and Ascot and the Royal Meeting, indeed. Right, Jane Mangan is still with me. There was a, an extraordinary race at Longchamp last night over a mile and three quarters. Um, <laughs> you watched it. What happened? I watched Gagarin's Moon jump out to make the running and then gradually build up a lead that looked halfway down the back straight as if the other jockeys had forgotten him or not seen him get away clear because the remaining five runners were content to go a sedate pace. Meanwhile, um, Sylvain Roos built up this unassailable lead as they turned the bottom bend. He was a furlong clear and I thought... uh, Ian Bartlett's commentary was hilarious. Um, the other five jockeys, I thought, may well get a penalty from the stewards. Certainly get asked a few questions. They did not get a penalty. Um, but ultimately, they underestimated or, or um, just quite did, didn't consider the, the leader a, a threat. And when it turned into the straight of Furlong Clear, there was no, it was never going to get caught. It was a very strange race. Uh, it's not something that hasn't happened before. It has happened to me. It happened mm. to me at Leopardstown. Um, when I left a horse go too far clear and finished second, I got five days of a penalty for that. John Reddington at Newcastle, of course, was the most famous recent example, wasn't it, on the all-weather in that bumper? 53-year-old yeah. John Reddington. 
Yeah, amateur race, but th these are professionals. And when you have Berzan Merzabayev and Theo Bachelot in here, you're thinking, you know, that they keep an eye on it. Um, but ultimately, it just it was just a bizarre race, and it was excellently called uh, by the commentator. If you were watching it with no bias and no interest in the race, it was amusing. But had you been a punter on any of the other five horses or a connection of any of the other five horses, it made for cruel watching. All right, then, Jane, just need a tip for you. Yes, I'm off to Fairy House for the 705. It's a mile and a half maiden where I think Esculine will be very well suited by the step up and trip for Johnny Murta and Ben Cohen. They were out of luck with Kirkira in Leopardstown last night, but Esculine may well break her maiden at the third attempt at the 705 of Fairy House. Jane, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you again on Monday. And don't forget, Charlotte will be here this evening with the Saturday edition. And that's uploaded from nine o'clock. If you do enjoy this podcast, do tell your friends, most importantly. And if you've got time to leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume your podcast, that would be fantastic. We'll see you again next time. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm -hmm.